in terms of being able to uh, make their digital uh, piece work. And it was great to see them, um, great to see them work so close together. But it's just an example. Um, I think faith communities in general. That's Ontario Finance Minister Rod Phillips. Sorry, former Ontario Finance Minister Rod Phillips, accompanied over Zoom by some relaxing ocean waves during a conference call. Phillips was in St. Bart's. He was the first Canadian politician to face heat for fleeing the cold and breaking his government's own COVID travel recommendations. But he certainly wasn't the last one, and it certainly wasn't just one party's problem. And it also wasn't his party's only problem. I can tell you I'm, I'm very upset. I'm very frustrated. People are losing their businesses. We're locking things down. And it's unacceptable that anyone, any elected official, myself included, or anyone that gets up, ignores the rules, and goes down uh, to an island. It is one thing to jet off for Christmas, even if you're floating your own party's policy. It's another thing to do it while COVID-19 numbers in your province are breaking records daily, and your vaccine rollouts are not breaking any records at all. Meanwhile, seniors are dying in long-term care facilities every day. Now, I don't think that we can solve any of these problems for the Ontario government today, but we can at least try to figure out how they ended up with all of them at once. Where did this go wrong? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Cynthia Mulligan covers Queen's Park and the Ontario government for City News. Hello, Cynthia. Hello, Jordan. My first question for you is, did you go anywhere for the holidays? Be honest. I honestly went to go see my mother, who lives in Mississauga, and I talked to her from her driveway. Okay, but what about the people you cover? The people I cover? Well, that's a whole different story. Of course, you know, the whole fiasco with Rod Phillips, Ontario's finance minister, exploded uh, during the holidays because it turns out he went to a high-end resort and was with his wife. Meanwhile, his account was tweeting merrily that uh, suggested that he was here in Ontario. Uh, And it really prompted a massive backlash that actually swept up other Canadian politicians as well, because it, it had a lot of people asking, well, where was my politician through the holidays while I was staying at home and not visiting relatives? I know politicians leave the country all the time, and and as we're going to talk about in a minute, it turns out uh, more politicians than just Mr. Phillips were gone to many places and and politicians of many stripes. But you mentioned mentioned the stuff he was tweeting, and do you think that's why— this struck such a nerve? Or or what do you think did it? Because uh, for me, it dominated the headlines the last week and a half uh, of the holidays. I think that the tweets suggested duplicity, that he was intentionally hiding the fact that he was away. And I think that that really struck a nerve with people. Now, I will also say we are 10 months into a pandemic. People are tired. And they're fed up and they're scared and they're worried about their jobs, their families, COVID is escalating and they're mad. And, you know, a politician who, you know, pretend tweets that he's home on Christmas Eve, but meanwhile, he's at a shishi resort, that is not sitting well with anybody. 
And you know, the one thing I will say about it is the shame of this is, or or a danger is that this took away from really serious issues like the rise in COVID cases that have gone above 3,000 for the first time in Ontario in the last few days. Uh, the, the outbreaks in long-term care homes that aren't just taking a small number of, of residents, but infecting the majority um, of residents. Th- these are really important conversations that need to be had. And I'm not suggesting by any means that Rod Phillips going away is not important. I think it sends the wrong signal to people. However, I think some really serious questions uh, should never be overlooked. And and one example is our, our vaccination pace, which I think is painfully slow compared to what people thought it was going to be. Well, I won't go down the rabbit hole of how many politicians and of which parties, but could you maybe give us a sense of of what happened after you know Phillips came out and said, uh, "My fault. I was in. I was in Saint Bartholomew's. I won't do it again, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Where did this go from there? Well, it instantly put Premier Doug Ford on the defensive. Uh, he had to acknowledge that he knew his finance minister was out of the country vacationing. Uh, he said it was a mistake that he didn't bring him back right away, uh, but. You know, this is a a shift in tone because the premier put out a statement saying that he would not tolerate this and he immediately uh, called for Phillips to come home. That's a change in tone because this premier has stood up, at least publicly, for his MPPs that have made mistakes. Sam Oosterhof, his, his youngest MPP, for example, was caught posing in a restaurant, breaking COVID guidelines with some 40 people not wearing masks, despite the restaurant asking them to, to behave. And, and he did not, and he still posted it on Facebook. And the premier just said, ah, it was a mistake, you know, and he didn't come down very hard on him. This is the first time I've seen him come down really, really hard on somebody in his own party. So it's a change of tone. Rod Phillips comes back, arrives at the airport, goes and has a conversation with the premier, probably by Zoom, I imagine. And and within minutes, you know, he had resigned and that was that. And we have a new finance minister, Peter Bethlen Falvey. You know, and it's a tough time to lose a finance minister who, by all accounts, was doing a good job. And we're about to enter a time where where the economy is going to be turbulent, to say the very least. So it's not a great time to lose a finance minister. Has Ford or anyone else in the government spoken about what they'll do to try to regain trust? Is uh, taking away Phillips' portfolio the end of it? What does this do to public health communications? I mean, we've talked uh, on this podcast before about how the government has already had a really difficult time getting people to buy in to COVID protocols, and and now they're the ones flaunting them. And that, you know, that's got to do something to Ontarians as as a group. Well, it makes Ontarians very bitter and very angry. And, you know, in the early days of COVID, Doug Ford surpassed expectations. Uh, He was very visible. He was out every day for months. Uh, And his his approval ratings really went up. And remember, not that long before the pandemic, many people thought that that there were some, including Rod Phillips, there there were rumors that he was trying to stage a coup against Doug Ford. And many wondered if Doug Ford was going to last until Christmas. And then COVID hit and he surpassed expectations. His approval ratings went 
so much higher and and they've dipped but i think most politicians have dipped because people are just mad and this is 10 months in and there's no other than vaccines there's no end in sight cases are soaring the second wave is not abating so it's no surprise that people are ready waiting and willing to take it out on their politicians and when they're caught when the politicians are caught not following their own rules or their own government's suggestions and guidelines yeah there's going to be intense intense anger so i think i did ask uh, somebody inside the ford government today did anybody else within the government travel and they acknowledged that there had been rumors and they've checked every single one of them out and they say to their knowledge nobody else has traveled uh, during the holiday season i imagine the timing uh, must play a big role too because you know if this was back in the summer when Ontario was on occasion under 100 cases a day, um, getting caught breaking protocol might not be a big deal. But where have we gone, Cynthia, over the last uh, two or three weeks since we've been off for the holidays? Well, you know, it it is spreading widely within the community. It's not just in pockets anymore. It's not just the frontline workers. It's, it is widespread. And Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, uh, called it escalating today. Um, it's a problem. It's a real problem. And the hospitals are getting overwhelmed and cancer surgeries are being postponed. And ICU beds are are at the point where modeling suggested that hospitals would be overwhelmed. And, you know, we still have a couple of weeks to really see the impact of the holidays and how many people actually listened or were traveling or or seeing friends and family and not paying attention to the guidelines. So we have a couple more weeks to really see what happened. But right now with these escalating cases, what we are seeing is what happened two weeks ago and what people were doing two weeks ago. Wait a week, two weeks, and we'll really see the full scope of this. You say uh, the chief public health officer says it's escalating. Do they have any uh, projections as to where it's going, any new modeling? Uh, I expect that that will be coming out shortly. I haven't seen any in the last uh, little while. Usually they were they were doing it every second Thursday, but it will be coming soon. And, you know, listen, the positivity rate was 9.7% today and, and it's higher in, in certain neighborhoods. That is a concern. They've lost control in certain areas of being able to do contact tracing because People don't just have five or 10 people that they've been in communication with. You know, as the uh, Toronto's medical officer of health at one point said, it's more than 60 and it's impossible for them to contract trace, you know, a thousand new cases a day or just under a thousand who each have 60 contacts. Like that's a problem. It's, it's going to get out of control. Actually, you know, uh, epidemiologist Colin Furness says it's been out of control for a couple of months now, at least. The other thing I have to say is schools, you know, the number of cases in schools has really risen and the government has been trying to downplay the severity of schools. And they say, well, you know, it's coming in from the community, but it's not really spreading within the schools. I don't, I don't think that they've done enough asymptomatic testing. And if you, and I, I'm, I'm quoting epidemiologists when I say this, and, and after speaking to many, it appears they are not doing enough asymptomatic testing. And I crunched the numbers maybe uh, three, four weeks before Christmas. And 
In Brampton, 48% of the schools, almost half, had at least one or two cases in Brampton. And that's symptomatic. Hmm. Those are kids who went, who had symptoms and went and got tested. So you know that the asymptomatic would would add to that. In Toronto public schools, it was 35%. In Toronto Catholic schools, it was 38%. Those are high numbers. And we haven't really got enough data to really truly understand what the implications of that is. But, you know, you, you have a lot of epidemiologists who have been screaming for more asymptomatic testing and and testing of teachers. And why can't we do sewage testing outside the school so that you can pinpoint where this is? And I just feel like we've seen a government who is reactionary more than being proactive. I was going to ask you about the schools. That's really interesting to know, especially because... So for listeners uh, tuning in, it's Tuesday morning for them. We're having this conversation late on Monday afternoon Schools are virtual, at least for younger students, through the end of this week. That's going to be something on the table for this government this whole week, right? Is is it safe to send kids back with numbers climbing? Do you have a sense of, of what they're thinking with that? Well, over the weekend, the education minister said elementary school students will be going back to school next week. High school students are out most of January. Uh, we'll see. I mean... Parents are scared. They're scared to send their students, their young children back to school. They don't know, especially when they don't know what the implications of the holidays are and, and how many additional people these their fellow students were exposed to. But we're also hearing teachers are struggling to, you know, take care of their own children at home and teach online, teach a class online. So it's it's a really challenging situation. But, you know, parents who work from home and care for their kids know all too well how difficult that is. Cynthia, can you explain uh, what's been happening with vaccinations in this province? Because, again, I don't follow it that closely, but I understand that We've been given a lot of them and haven't managed to get many of them into arms. And various people online are doing calculations that say things like, we won't all be vaccinated until 2040 at this rate. What is happening? Well, that's a really good question that I posed to somebody within the Ford government today and said, why out of the gate was Ontario the slowest to vaccinate in this country, out of all the provinces, we came in last per capita of how many people we were vaccinating. I think we might now be the second province in the country. And the answer was, because I, I, I said, why? Why are we behind other provinces? Why aren't we leading the pack? And the answer was, truthfully, I don't know and I can't explain it. That's worrisome. It is worrisome. So we, Ontario has received 50,000 Moderna vaccinate, vaccines and 90,000 Pfizer vaccines. Uh, It's unknown when the next shipment will be. Now we have, by end of day, we'll have vaccinated roughly 45,000 people. But I'm told there is a bit of a lag because the Moderna is going into long-term care. And what they're doing uh, for long-term care are, are recording it on paper. So there is going to be a lag to get those vaccinations counted and into the computer system. So I'm told that the number is actually higher. They just don't have it in the system yet. Now, we know tomorrow 
there's going to be a technical briefing for the media and we're going to hear more about vaccinations and what the plan is to get them into arms right away. I thought it was interesting that over the holidays that they actually put a pause on the vaccinations because they wanted to give healthcare workers a break to see their families. And I get it. You know, there's a concern that healthcare workers are overworked, but you saw so many doctors on Twitter saying, I don't care. I'll come in. I want to hand out these vaccines. I want to get people to be safe. And so there was a real backlash and retired general Rick Hillier kind of took the fall for it. And he apologized and said it was a mistake. And I always thought when when Premier Doug Ford introduced General Rick Hillier as his main lead person on the task force to get the vaccines out, I kind of thought that was a bit of a brilliant maneuver to shield the Premier maybe from some criticism because he sort of put General Rick Hillier in front of him to, to take the buffer for him. And, you know, Hillier, Hillier is quite widely a acclaimed um, and and not as politi- not politically vulnerable. So I thought that that was a, a very interesting move. Um, but they're not saying yet how many vaccines they are targeting to um, put in people's arms every day. Uh, hopefully we get some more of those answers tomorrow. That's really weird to me because you would think um, right now, and I'm sure there is lots of stuff that I don't know, But you would think that a government uh, beset right now by rising case numbers and by uh, their own travel scandals would be eager to just, you know, push forward with the one thing that is giving people hope right now. Yes, absolutely. Now, today, Premier Doug Ford did say that, you know, pretty soon they're going to be number one in in the way this premier speaks. You know, we're going to be the best. We're going to be the fastest. We're going to get them out there. Just you wait. Um, but this is a government that, and listen, I'm sure almost every government is struggling. You know, they're struggling with, with the rising cases in long-term care. We're just seeing horrifying situations play out over and over and over again. And and we have 78,000 vulnerable residents in long-term care. And the key is to get the Moderna into long-term care homes as fast as possible to mitigate the risk to these, these poor people who, who are just suffering and, and, and dying at record rates. We now have more long-term care homes in outbreak than, than during the entire pandemic. It's a, it's a massive concern. Um, and we're hearing all these different names, Tender Care and Sunnycrest. So Sunnycrest, just before the holidays, had a huge outbreak. 98 or 99% of its residents became infected. Like all but one of their residents, essentially. And, and the, a, a huge number of their staff. And I got a hold of a long-term care inspection report that was done a few days before and just after the outbreak started. And the inspector found, Jordan, that people proper PPE protocols was, were not being followed. They're in outbreak. And less than 50% of the staff was able to work. So residents weren't being fed on time. They weren't getting critical medicine on time. And their wounds weren't being treated. This was just before the Christmas holidays. This was, it's still happening. And as the relative of, of, of one resident who died, her father passed away. She said, didn't we learn anything from the first wave? She said it was a ghost town. And that it was filthy, dirty diapers everywhere. She said it was just awful. And it's like, what has changed since that horrifying army report 
from a few months ago during the first wave. If this stuff is still happening, what is the government doing about it? Uh, When does the legislature sit and what can we expect next? Well, the legislature isn't sitting again until mid-February. Sorry, what? Yep. (laughs) I knew that, but it's still staggering to hear. Yes. The legislature is not resuming until mid-February. Today, NDP leader Andrea Horvath called for the legislature to resume sitting right away so that they could challenge the government and find a solution to the vaccination rollout and what's happening in long-term care. Uh, I talked to a couple of people at the Ford government and asked what what the probability of that was, and the answer was, well, that's not going to happen. I know you don't know the answer to this, Cynthia, but why not? Why not? I think one reason is, first of all, there's usually a lengthy break around the holidays. But second, the government would not possibly want to give the opposition a, a greater voice right now to expose or further further uh, bring to light uh, issues and, and problems that are happening. It's, the gover- it's in the government's best interest to, to not give the NDP and the Liberals a voice, a stronger voice than they have right now. Did you think that 10 months into this or more, you'd still be wondering about the role that politics is playing in things like, well, should we get the legislature back? Well, maybe not, because that'll give the opposition some time to criticize us. Like, I guess I'm naive, but I would have hoped that maybe 10 months into a public health emergency, we might be a little bit past uh, those kind of stunts. I think politics is always behind this, and I think it always will be. The response is... Um, very much to certain parts of this politically driven. And, you know, the premier acknowledges he's tried to walk a fine line between maintaining the economy and keeping businesses open and managing a pandemic. I think the NDP would have shut things down long before, but given businesses more money. You are approaching that. Any politician is approaching this with, with some of their political stance coloring what they they choose to do. But yes, it is political. It is absolutely political. No, that's fair. I just felt maybe we would have abandoned the optics by now. You know, listen, uh, at least we're better than the United States, which is all driven by ideology and 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 they've been, you know, paralyzed by the political fighting. Uh, the one good thing is 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 we have avoided that for the most part in this country. It's going to be a long few months till we all get those needles in our arms. Thank you, Cynthia. Well, it's April. Yeah, thank you. It's April at least before the general population starts getting it and September till maybe 50% or a little over get it. So yeah, we have a long way to go, Jordan. Happy January. Happy January. Cynthia Mulligan covers Queen's Park for City News. That was the big story. You know us by now. You can find more at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can talk to us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can email us at thebigstorypodcast, that's all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. And as always, we are in your favorite podcast player. If you get a chance to leave us a rating or a review, I promise we appreciate and read. And sometimes email each other if it's clever. Every single one. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We're glad to be back. And we'll talk tomorrow.